Romans 8.15 says, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Welcome to Spirit of Adoption Radio, where we soar above all the darkness of this world and see things in the light of God's eternal perspective. Now, here's your hosts, Kevin and Tabitha Lavelle. Shalom. We're so thankful and blessed that you would choose to join us today for episode number 174 of Spirit of Adoption Radio. I'm Kevin. With me, as always, is my dear wife, Tabitha. How are you today, Svia? I'm very blessed. Amen. I want you to bring me back to Israel. Hey, Lord willing. Yerushalayim. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Yes. In Israel. We have a plan. That's right. Amen. I can't wait. And he is bringing the Jewish people back. From the four corners of the war, the earth, you That's know, right. right now. It's amazing. Just as he promised, right? Exactly. About It's prophetic, you know? Amen. It's all prophesied and it's happening, you know? And Pastor Joe, one of our dear friends mm-hmm. from Simi Valley, he talked about how there was a a time when he got to um, help bring mm. the people from the ships. Right. You know, from they were Russia. coming in, making Aliyah mm-hmm. from Russia on ships. And this that's was right. prophecy that's spoken of in the word that the Gentiles are going to bring the Jews on the shoulders, in yeah. on their shoulders. Mm. And so Pastor <laughs> Joe got to put some little Jewish babies on his shoulders and, wow. you know, bring them in and help them make Aliyah. It was How just cool is that? so cool to be actually living, breathing part of prophecy from the Bible. Mm. Amen. Exciting. Amen. And Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, probably the most detailed uh, prophecy about how God would bring the Jewish people back into mm. the land. It says that he would bring them back in unbelief. Mm. Wow. And that's exactly what you've seen. Mm. You know, the Jewish yeah. people weren't coming back because they were following their Messiah, Yeshua, Hamashiach. God was doing something sovereignly. Right. To fulfill his word. Mm. Right. And then it says, after he brought them back in the land, he would sprinkle them with clean water, right? Mm. And he would give them new hearts. And, you know, we see that happening. Yeah. Right? It is. The Jewish people are coming to know their Messiah. And even through this very difficult time, Mm. 
mm. of, of uh, wars and rumors of wars, right? Right. In the land of Israel, more Jews are, their hearts are being stirred and softened through this to want to hear about Yeshua. Wow. We have friends in the land that testify these things to us yes. that are ministering to their people. And so it's incredible. The Lord's working in the midst of all of this war. Mm -hmm. There's a war going on for souls and the Lord is winning. Yeah, he is. He's winning souls. And the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. So may we all be wise mm -hmm. and seek to win souls. Amen. 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 So that's beautiful. And we know there's a lot of turmoil in the land of Israel yeah. too. And the Bible prophesied that would happen, that mm. they would be hated by all nations. He'd bring them back in the land and they'd be hated by all their neighbors. Right. And we see that. Doesn't it say something about like them being a burdensome mm -hmm. cornerstone or a burdensome stone a to burdensome the, stone. a stumbling block, you know, to the nations around them? That's right. And so we know that there's a lot of schemes against Israel, okay? The Bible says that would happen in the last days. And mm -hmm. on today's show, we want to talk about some of the schemes that have been and are still being run against Israelis and the land of Israel. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good to expose the anti-Israel, anti-Jewish propaganda surrounding this Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Mm, yes, it's very important. There's a lot of misinformation. Oh yeah, on there's purpose. a lot of false narratives that are being propagated. A lot out of there. revision of history. Oh yeah. Hopefully, this episode can be a blessing to our listeners and maybe anyone who has been watching the mainstream media and maybe they're getting deceived on some of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I want everyone to know the truth about this. Amen. So I want to share um, probably the best resource that I have heard ever on this subject of the true history of the modern state of Israel and the land of Israel and the truth about what has happened and the schemes that have been run by all kinds of different organizations, things that have been covered up and hidden to attack the Jewish people. And as you see on the campuses, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Let's push them into the ocean. Right. That's what they say. Mm -hmm. So this is probably the best resource that explains it all. A lot of things that probably people haven't heard or didn't know. Okay. They're going to be yeah. eye-opening. Mm. It's something that I hope that everyone will be able to share with others who might be deceived on this subject, mm. might not know the whole truth about it. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to play this. And as the title says, we're going to separate the truth from the anti-Jewish fiction that is out there. We're going to cut through the propaganda. Amen. Right? Yes. So let's take a listen and be blessed. Amen. Amen. In 1969, Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir made headlines with this comment, there is no such thing as the Palestinian people. It's not as if we came and threw them out and took their country. They didn't exist. Golda's statement was controversial, but as it turned out, many Arab leaders and historians agreed with her. In 1937, Arab leader Ani Abdul Hadi made this statement to the British Peel Commission. There is no such country as Palestine. Palestine is a term the Zionists invented. 
There is no Palestine in the Bible. Palestine is alien to us. Nearly a decade later, Arab historian Philip Hitty agreed. In his testimony to the Anglo-American Committee, there is no such thing as Palestine in history. Absolutely not. In 1956, a Saudi representative to the UN stated, it is common knowledge that Palestine is nothing but southern Syria. And more recently, Syrian dictator Hafez al-Assad gave this lecture to PLO leader Yasser Arafat. Never forget this one point. There is no such thing as a Palestinian people. There is no Palestinian entity. Palestine is an integral part of Syria. With the Peel Commission of 1936, the British government offered for the first time the partition of the land, the partition of Palestine into a Jewish Palestine and into an Arab Palestine. We were all Palestinians because this was the nature of this administrative unit, Palestina. Now the Palestinians are owning this nationality as being the nation of Palestine, but this is not quite historically true. So what is the historical truth? Who are the Palestinians and what are their claims to the land of Israel? Let's take a look. Many Palestinian Arabs, including Arafat, have claimed to be descendants of the ancient Canaanites. A convenient argument, since the Canaanites were the first known inhabitants of the land of Israel. Even as recently as May of 2014, a PA spokesman stated that the Palestinians have been in the land for 5,000 years. But history shows that there's no way the Palestinians could be related to the Canaanites because the Canaanites were almost completely obliterated by the Israelites in the 13th century BC. The few that remained were assimilated into Israelite culture. Palestinians also claim that the ancient Philistines are their ancestors, and it's true that they take their name from the tribe of Goliath. But do they actually share DNA? The Philistines were a seafaring people who came from Crete, the largest of the Greek islands. The Philistines got their name from the Hebrew word plishtim, which actually means invaders. Palestine means invaded land. Why should we call it that? When the Philistines invaded Israel in the 12th century BC, they stayed close to the Mediterranean coast. They never settled in Jerusalem, Hebron, or Jericho, all cities claimed today by the Palestinians. By the 7th century BC, the Philistines had been assimilated by the Assyrians, then conquered by the Babylonians. From there, they disappeared from the pages of history. And experts say no one alive today could prove Philistine lineage. But if the Palestinians want to claim them, 
they would have to acknowledge that their real ancestral homeland is not Israel, but the Greek island of Crete. The Palestinians may not have gotten their DNA from the Philistines, but they did get their name. When the Roman Emperor Hadrian conquered Jerusalem in AD 135, he was determined to eradicate even the memory of the Jews and erase their connection to the land of Israel. So Hadrian renamed the region after their historical enemies, calling it Syria-Palestina, the Latin translation for Philistine. So if they're not Canaanites, and they're not Philistines, who are the Palestinians? Biologically, they share DNA with Saudis, Iraqis, Syrians, and Jordanians. Simply put, they're Arabs. Never in history was there a Palestinian nation or a Palestinian state. At that time, nobody was thinking in lines of a Palestinian people. They were all Arabs. Behind me is one of the most controversial pieces of real estate in the world. The Temple Mount is the holiest site in Judaism and the third holiest in Islam. Muslim tradition says that Muhammad traveled here to the Al-Aqsa Mosque on his famous night journey. And that tradition forms the basis for the Palestinians' claim to Jerusalem. Arabs claim Jerusalem as the Islamic city of Al-Quds. But there's no record that the Prophet Muhammad had ever been there. And even his armies didn't arrive there until five years after his death. The city of Jerusalem isn't mentioned even once in the Quran, while the Hebrew Bible mentions it more than 600 times. In Muhammad's lifetime, it was a fairly unimportant city in the Byzantine Empire. It was a Christian city without a single mosque. When the Muslims conquered Jerusalem, they chose to build their mosques on the Jewish Temple Mount, believing it to be a holy site. There they built the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa, whose name was copied from the story of the night journey in the Quran. Several Muslim scholars placed the construction of the mosque around 690, while Muhammad died in 632. So how could Muhammad's famous night journey have taken him to a mosque in Jerusalem that wouldn't be built until after his death? The Quran doesn't mention Jerusalem, but says that Muhammad's dream flight took him to Al-Aqsa, which means the farthest place. Early Islamic scholars interpreted that to mean a heavenly place, or the courtyard of Allah. That all changed as Islam evolved into a political force. During the Crusades, the Muslim general Saladin changed Islamic tradition to strengthen the Muslim claim to Jerusalem. He stated that Muhammad's flight took him not to heaven, but to the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. And today, the Jewish Temple Mount is also the third holiest site in Islam, second only to the Arabian cities of Mecca and Medina. Muslims believe that once they claim a piece of land, 
It belongs to Islam forever. Still, at the beginning of the 20th century, Islamic leaders acknowledged the Temple Mount's Jewish history. In 1924, Jerusalem's Supreme Islamic Council published this tourist pamphlet on the Temple Mount. It says the site's identity with the site of Solomon's Temple is beyond dispute. This, too, is the spot, according to the universal belief, on which David built there an altar unto the Lord. The pamphlet also describes the underground chamber the Crusaders called Solomon's Stables. It dates probably as far back as the construction of Solomon's Temple. In 1927, a strong earthquake damaged the mosque, and during renovations, archaeologists analyzed the structure. They found beams made from cedar of Lebanon and Cyprus, dating as far back as the 9th century BC, around the time of King Solomon, who had used those very materials to build the first Jewish temple. The excavations also uncovered a Jewish ritual bath from the second temple, and a mosaic believed to be part of a Byzantine church. Most historians agree the Jews were here first, but the Arabs will argue that they were here the longest, and the so-called right of return has been a constant theme at every Middle East peace summit since 1948. From the Crusades until the 19th century, the Arab population had only grown from around 200,000 to 300,000. Arab growth was stagnant, and population experts say it would have stayed that way, except for one thing, the arrival of the Jews. With the waves of Jewish immigration starting in 1882, Arabs started flooding into Palestine from neighboring countries, and they came for two reasons. One, to enjoy a higher standard of living in Palestine, and two, to fight the immigration of the Jews who made that standard of living possible. By 1948, the Arab population of Palestine was 1.3 million. The British governor of the Sinai once remarked, It is very difficult to make a case for the misery of the Arabs if at the same time their compatriots from adjoining states could not be kept from going in to share that misery. Some experts say, if the Palestinian Arabs want a legal return to their countries of origin, they would have to return to places like Egypt, Iraq, Morocco, and Syria, but not to Israel. Today, many world leaders call on Israel to return to its 1967 borders. But if you look at history, those borders aren't from 1967. In fact, they're not even real borders. The borders of the West Bank are an armistice lines which were created by results of the war of 1948. And at the end of the war, this is where the armies stood still this is how the quote-unquote border of 1967 
or of 1949, was created. So the 1967, which is an armistice line, served as a border between Israel and the state of Jordan. And the state of Jordan also annexed the West Bank and it became part of Jordan. When Jordan occupied the West Bank and East Jerusalem in 1949, the Jews were ethnically cleansed from both places. At least 30 synagogues were destroyed, and Jews were banned from holy sites like the Western Wall, while Palestinian Arabs living there automatically became Jordanian citizens. So Israel can't go back to the so-called 67 borders for three reasons. One, before 1967, the West Bank was controlled by Jordan, not by the Palestinians. And Jordan's annexation of it violated international law. Two, the land was legally promised to the Jews by the British Mandate of 1922. And three, there was no Palestinian state in 1967, forever. As Golda Meir once said, how can we return the occupied territories? There is no one to return them to. The term occupation is when you possess a, something which is not yours or which is someone else's. This is not the case of the West Bank. When you talk about occupation, yes, there were many occupations over the West Bank starting with the Babylonians and Assyrians and Greeks and Romans all the way to the Ottomans and to the Brits. To call the Jews occupiers in their own home, this is really a unique travesty of history. The West Bank was never held by the Palestinians. They were never sovereigns. In fact, there was no other sovereign over the West Bank than the Jewish people. It's the oldest land dispute in history. For centuries, Jews and Arabs have both claimed to be the rightful owners of the land of Israel. Jewish claims to the land are based on four main arguments. The first is God's promise to Abraham. Israeli Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion often said that the Bible was the Jewish mandate for settling the land of Israel. In the book of Genesis, God gave the land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of Israel. And the rest of the Bible tells the story of their descendants in the land. Moses led the Jews back to Israel after their exile in Egypt. And roughly 400 years later, around 1000 BC, King David conquered the city of Jerusalem and built his capital there. But the story of the Jews isn't limited to the borders of modern Israel. Their footprints have been traced throughout Judea and Samaria, now the Palestinian West Bank. Bethel, where Jacob dreamed of a ladder to heaven, Shiloh, the resting place of the Ark of the Covenant. Bethlehem, the birthplace of King David. And Hebron, 
where the Jewish patriarchs are buried. This is all not just documented in the Bible and in history. It also reveals itself in every inch of the land. In any archaeological dig, you just scratch the surface and you find a rich Jewish culture and history of more than 3,500 years, ever since King David built Jerusalem 3,010 years ago. The Jewish rule over Israel was also documented outside the Bible, often by the enemies of Israel. In Egypt, an inscription on the Merneptah Stila proclaimed in the 13th century BC that Israel has been laid waste. In 840 BC, the Moabite king Mesha wrote about the house of David, as did another king a century later, Hazael of Damascus. In the first century AD, the Jewish historian Josephus described in great detail the Jewish temple in Jerusalem and its destruction by the Romans, a story confirmed by a relief in the Arch of Titus in Rome. Every day, archaeology yields more evidence of ancient Jewish culture dating back thousands of years. And in the 20th century, that historical connection has been recognized several times by international law. In 1917, British Foreign Secretary Arthur Balfour issued a declaration calling for a Jewish homeland in Palestine, also known then as Southern Syria. Palestine included at the time all the territory which is now Israel, which is also Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, and Jordan. In 1920, Allied leaders gathered in San Remo, Italy to divide the remains of the Ottoman Empire. They created the San Remo Resolution, which incorporated the Balfour Declaration. The resolution was signed by the members of the League of Nations, and the British were put in charge of Palestine. That meant they were legally bound to help the Jewish people build a state there. Two years later, in 1922, the League adopted the British Mandate for Palestine which recognized the historical connection of the Jewish people and the need for reconstituting their national home there. By that time, the land allocated to the Jewish people had been drastically reduced, with more than 75% of it going to the new Arab Kingdom of Transjordan. The mandate was signed by all 51 members of the League of Nations, and once again, a Jewish state was guaranteed by international law. But 25 years later, that state still existed only on paper. And in 1945, the League was replaced by the United Nations. Article 80 of the UN Charter states that the UN would not alter existing states, peoples, or mandates, which means the UN legally recognized the right of the Jewish people to settle in Palestine, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. The United Nations is the legal successor and inheritor of the League of Nations, which means all obligations, commitments, and pledges of the League of Nations must be upheld by the United Nations. Unfortunately, 
they did not do it in the case of Israel and the Jewish ownership over their land. In November 1947, the land intended for the Jews was divided once again. The UN voted to partition what was left of Palestine into two parts. 56% would be a Jewish state, with 43% going to an Arab state to be annexed to Jordan. Once again, a Jewish state was mandated by international law. Israel declared its independence in 1948, and a year later, the new state was admitted to the United Nations. But despite numerous legal endorsements, Israel's borders would still be disputed for decades to come as Arab leaders incited violence against Israel. The Mufti, Hajj Amin al-Husseini, say, what they, they, the United Nations, write with ink, we destroyed by blood. In 2002, UN Secretary General Kofi Annan famously used the phrase illegal occupation to describe Israel's annexation of the West Bank in 1967. But Annan's critics were quick to point out his use of the word illegal was incorrect because the West Bank never legally belonged to Palestinian Arabs in the first place. Palestine was ruled by the Ottoman Turks from 1516 to 1918. Then for the next 30 years, it was controlled by the British until Israel declared its independence. During the war that followed, the Kingdom of Jordan invaded the West Bank and formally annexed the land in 1950. There is a lack of historical understanding and also there is an abuse here by this thing of international law. Since the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, was annexed by Jordan, it was a Jordanian territory, and in 1967, the Six Days War, when Israel had, again, a campaign of self-defense, when three armies of Syria, Jordan, and Egypt were surrounding us, ready to drive us into the sea, Israel won the war, and as a result, we took into possession the West Bank, Judea and Samaria. This land was captured from Jordan. Since Israel recaptured the land from Jordan, it now belongs to Israel, according to international law. One judge on the International Court of Justice wrote the following about the 1967 war. A state acting in lawful exercise of its right of self-defense may seize and occupy foreign territory, as long as such seizure and occupation are necessary to its self-defense. And where the prior holder of territory had seized that territory unlawfully, the state which subsequently takes that territory in the lawful exercise of self-defense has against that prior holder better title. We bought our land in the blood of our soldiers. We didn't start with the war. The Arabs started with the war. All over the world, the idea when someone started with the war and he failed, he paid the price. He paid the price. So why do we have to pay the price now? The last claim the Jewish people make for the land of Israel focuses not on how they got it, 
but what they did with it. Today, Israel's population is well over 8 million. But in 1850, only 350,000 people lived in Israel and the West Bank. In 1857, the British consul in Palestine reported that the area was empty of inhabitants and that its greatest need is a body of population. A decade later, British scientist H.B. Tristram wrote that whole villages there are rapidly disappearing from the face of the earth. An American writer, Mark Twain, wrote this about the Jezreel Valley. There is not a solitary village for 30 miles in either direction. There are two or three small clusters of Bedouin tents, but not a single permanent habitation. Today, many Palestinian Arabs claim that the Jews stole Arab land, evicted the owners, and left thousands of Arab farmers homeless. But is that the real story? Let's take a look. As early as the 1850s, Jewish people started buying land in Palestine but their choices were limited by Arab sellers. The Arabs settled mainly in mountainous areas, and they did not offer those lands for sale. The Arabs wanted to sell land in places where they did not live, in places which they had left in the past. Records show that most of the land purchased by the Jews belonged to a small group of wealthy Muslim families most of whom didn't even live in Palestine. The Arabs were from many walks of life. Effendis who lived in Beirut and in Damascus, as well as locals. Also people who lived in the rural villages. All of them were willing to sell their land. There was always more land available than the demand for them. From the beginning, the Jewish policy was clear. No Arabs were to be removed from their land against their will. In 1920, Zionist labor leader David Ben-Gurion announced that under no circumstances must we touch land belonging to Fellaheen or work by them. Only if a fellow leaves his place of settlement should we offer to buy his land at an appropriate price. The Jewish National Fund bought the lands legally in order to fully secure the ownership of these lands. The Arabs were not evicted from the lands. They received compensation and the full process for the lands. That compensation was documented by the British Peel Commission in 1937. The group had been sent to Palestine to investigate clashes between Arabs and Jews. Their report shows that of the 664 Arab workers dispossessed by land sales, 347 were resettled by the British government for free. The rest refused help and found employment elsewhere. Not only did the Jews buy the land legally, they also paid 10 times the normal rate. In 1944, the going rate for rich, fertile soil in Iowa was $110 an acre. While in Palestine, Jews were paying more than $1,000 an acre for arid, rocky land. They say they are crazy. They buy this land. It's dirty land. 
it's no good land. But they are not stupid, and they know that we must work very hard, and they work very hard. Look what we have. We are only 66 years old, and look what we have already. Wow, that's really spiritual eye-opening mm-hmm. in a lot of ways for us to make sure that we're abiding in the truth and not following these like TikTok narratives oh, of truth right. because I had never even heard some of the twisted mm-hmm. um, reality that people believe about this topic right here. The enemy does this, right? He's the father of lies. Yes. So he'll, he'll create this narrative and it's totally disconnected from reality but he can stir people up, mm. right? Yeah. And whisper in people's ears and tell them lies and, and, and they don't even research the, the truth. Right. And they'll go with a lie yeah. instead. Oh, yeah. So you can see how they've, people have done that and revised history. The enemy has done it. It's a spiritual battle, mm. but people have gone along with that. Mm. Okay. And we want you to know that we love yeah. the Palestinian people that call themselves Palestinian. We love the Jewish people. Yeah. We love the Arabs. We love the Muslims. We love the Jordanians. We love the Israelis. We love them all because of Messiah, Amen. you know, but we do want you to see the truth of some of these things. And that's mm-hmm. why we wanted to put this episode out there because we want you guys to see through some of the propaganda right. and see the actual truth of some of these topics so that you don't get deceived. Amen. You know, the AI is doing a masterful mm. job of faking reality out there. And, and it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. And we can be deceived by things that we see in here. And that's why we want to speak truth on Spirit of Adoption Radio so that you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. Well, we just want to thank you all again, once again, for joining us for another episode of Spirit of Adoption Radio. We are so thankful for all of our listeners, and we want you guys to, um, if you could, please put a five-star review on the listening platform of your choice, whether it be Spotify or Apple or iTunes or wherever you're listening to us, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening, um, give us a five-star review because that really helps us to be able to get this show into the hands of more people. I know I've said that before, but if you haven't done that yet, would you please do that for us and we appreciate every review that you give us and we are so thankful for you and praying for you and what you're doing for the lord in your lives too amen and remember god has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind he has everything under control so look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near amen 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 and may the lord bless you as you seek him today maranatha Thanks for listening to Spirit of Adoption Radio. You can reach us through our website, adoptionairfare.com. Also, please subscribe and leave us a review on the listening platform of your choice. Lord willing, we'll see you next time. Maranatha. 